everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bias Check-In. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for celebrating our birthday with us. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. If you are a long-time listener, welcome if this is your first episode. I'm Susie. And this is Claudia. And this is Bias Check-In. Wow. That is the whole episode. Okay. <laughs> no, kidding. Uh, my birthday was last week. Unfortunately, as you may have listened two episodes ago, Claudia was planning a whole thing and then she didn't even make it to Chicago. So this might be the last episode that we record. Okay, that makes it sound... Then I am the dramatic one in this duo. I am the dramatic one here. Okay. Uh, if you heard my voice just doing that little nice crackling thing, you may have gotten a hint of why I didn't make it to Chicago. It was because I had the plague. I finally lost my freaking bragging rights on COVID-19. And I came home from my onsite with an extra little guest in my immune system. It was great. So if you heard any of that crackling, any coughing... I was actually starting to be sick when we recorded the birthday episode. Still have a bit of a scratchy throat. I'm sorry, y'all, especially if you're listening on headphones like 99% of the human population does by now to podcasts. And please join me in giving my slighted co-host all the kudos in editing the cough out of this episode and the previous ones. I'm sorry. Next time I will come share my germs with you and with whoever else is on my flight. Yeah, no, no, please don't do that. I immediately got vaccinated <laughs> when you told me you got it. Because I don't want to break my strike of not getting COVID-19 or 20 or 2023. So knocking on wood. Nonetheless, you still managed to surprise me on my birthday, which is very appreciated. One of my other best friends was also here celebrating me. We did a little birthday dinner after my class because I go to class again. And of course, the only day I have in-person night class was the night of my birthday. But it was fine. I just went to school very dressed up and we were all good to go. And then on Sunday, we saw the U.S. Women's National Team versus South Africa. It was also Megan Rapinoe's last game. And that was very, very sweet and a great moment to share. Yeah, I'm not salty at all that I missed that. No, not in the slightest. You know what I did not miss, though, thanks to COVID and normal, the new normal, I guess? Work. Work. <laughs> so that's been so weird. So for anyone who was is still in the no covid club i remember at the beginning when people got two weeks off and they were asymptomatic and they were like this is great banana bread time no we are not in those days anymore we're never going back to those days i was definitely symptomatic hmm. but i still worked because i am a computer kind of barbie my job is computer and my job is email and you can do that from anywhere, even without temperature. So it's been very, very strange. I feel like I 
was sick, but also I wasn't. I just missed out on my Chicago trip and on your birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Because technically, yes, you can still answer emails. But you're also sick and you're supposed to be resting and recovering. And that's what your body needs. So I guess each company does it their own way. But yeah, the new normal from what we hear is that you are expected to take work calls on Zoom just off camera and mute yourself while you're coughing? Kind of. Um, in my case, there were two days I completely did lose my voice. So I just did emails. I worked on reports and projects that I could work on my own without needing to communicate with my team anything that was longer than a quick slack. It is definitely strange and it feels a little bit like that unlimited PTO dream because no one forces you to work. But there's still the idea of like, well, do you, do you want to spend your time off like this? Do you want to come back to everything that you're not doing this week when you're just sitting at home and you, at least in my case, I couldn't even leave the room because we were quarantining. So it's like, well, what else am I going to do? I might as well answer some emails while I'm at it. But technically, you could have taken off. Yes. And I think that goes well with the theme of this episode, because I promise we're getting there. Uh, that technically, everything is a choice. It's a choice to take your leave or not. But it's not an easy choice. Might even feel like it's not a choice. So with that weird intro, Susie, <laughs> what are we actually speaking about today? With that ominous intro, um, unusual ways to be out of work because we're talking about labor unions and strikes and possible government shutdowns. If you're anything like me, um, I didn't know much about labor unions or union strikes to begin with. So let's start with an intro on labor unions, shall we? By all means. Unions are organizations formed by employees to collectively represent their interests and advocate for better working conditions, wages, benefits, and other workplace-related issues. Up until then, we are on the same boat. Sounds great. Amazing. Then workers decide to form a union when they believe that collective action is necessary to address workplace concerns. Employees become members of the unions by signing union authorization cards or voting in favor of union representation. And the primary function of a union is to negotiate with employers on behalf of its members. So... Just going back to the signing of the authorization cards for those like me that are not native speakers. If you've ever heard the expression, I'm a card carrying member to say, oh, I'm so strongly associated with XYZ. This is where it came from, that you had to get a signed card representing that the union defended your interests and you would produce it to show that, yes, you were in with the cool kids. And... Having 
the union negotiate with employers on behalf of its members is where I think unions become iffy. That is their point. That is their primary function. I just don't think that I would feel okay in that scenario. But continuing, union representatives engage in collective bargaining with management to reach agreements on employment terms. As we said, wages, benefits, working hours, and workplace policies. In cases where negotiations fail to produce a satisfactory agreement, unions may resort to strikes or other labor actions as a way to pressure employers to meet their demands. Labor laws protect the rights of workers to join and form unions without retaliation from their employers. And these laws also require employers to engage in good faith negotiations with the unions. Now, again, on paper, this all sounds good and dandy, right? We know that the institutions fail individuals at times, and then this parallel institution is created and workers are better protected than initially. As you can imagine, it gets a little bit more complicated than that in the real world and putting all the little details in place to execute that vision. Unions, strikes, honestly, the entire aspect is fascinating to me. A, because I don't think in any role that I've been in or that I will be in, I will ever be a member of a union because... I don't know, if someone wants to start a union of IO psychologists, let's talk. That We can definitely talk through it, but it would be strange, not going to lie. And also because as a recovering people pleaser, the idea of just saying, you know what, employer, you're not doing good enough by me, my anxiety could never. Like, can you imagine? But also as a people pleaser, wouldn't you join the the strike? To be in with the other cool kids? That's where I think it gets really... Like, I start to see the complications of it. Again, yes, on one side, you don't want to break the picket line. We'll talk about it more in just a little bit. But I feel like there's at least a stereotype about unions and union leaders where you have to be comfortable being a contrarian and going against the status quo. And in the situations that I'm currently in, love me being a contrarian. Don't I'm not going to claim on the record anything against it. But yeah, the idea of saying, I will just walk out and I expect my job to be here in two weeks when you realize you need me. That, that takes another level of confidence. And I just don't think office jobs are built for that. Like, I think we, you know, we're more likely to, sure, protest, maybe send a company-wide email. All the things that we talked about in other episodes. Quiet quit, procrastinate, counterproductive, bad organizational citizenship behavior, steal the stapler to throw it way back to a really old episode. To just walk out like that takes courage and a negotiating power that I don't think most of us have. For me, at least, I don't know. Like, I want to hear like what experience you've had with strikes, but I mean, I can only think of like maybe a summer when I was a kid and the truck drivers did a snail march, 
So they blocked all of the lanes on one of our biggest um, highways in the middle of tourist season. And they started driving literally at 5, 10 kilometers an hour, blocking traffic for everyone. I remember that. I remember train strikes. Sure, people were annoyed, but I didn't know why they were striking or why it was important. The only other real perception I have of strikes is Billy Elliot dancing on the rooftops in Ireland during that movie and his family fighting over whether or not to join the strike. So, again, very romantic, idealized perception of it. What about you? Like, are there strikes in Mexico? That sounds like a really silly question, but are there? There are, and it's normally same as transportation strikes or teachers' union strikes, but that's for the public system, public schools, and yeah, those ones last a very long time, I think, in some states they have lasted even like half of the school year. But same as with you, they've never like really impacted me as in maybe um, your tolls to get to somewhere on like a highway were closed. But strike history in short, they started as unlawful protests during the Industrial Revolution and then canonized into workers' rights to demonstrate. Most recently, the WGA, Writers Guild, and the SAG-AFTRA for actors went on strike. The WGA strike just ended this week, as was recording. Um, actors are still on strike, again, still as we're recording. But act- actors, journalists, writers, um, they were concerned about technology and about revenue sharing. Streaming revenue not being shared with actors and AI being used for digital recreation. And if all of this sounds familiar and if it sounds like a Black Mirror episode, yes, do both. It is very dystopian and they had already made an episode about it, so... I don't know what world we live in. That's the part of why I love and hate Black Mirror. But can you imagine being the actors that were in that episode and that coming out in the spring? And then by the end of June, you're holding a sign in the picket line because that episode was a bit too realistic. Like that has to mess with your brain. Yes and no. It means that People have been talking about it for a while in order to have been made into a Black Mirror episode, but it came true. So I don't know. Maybe we'll be rating each other very soon. I mean, uh, yeah, there's we could go down the rabbit hole, but maybe another episode. But going back to our topic of the strike, I think it's also that with anything related to the entertainment industry, it's also a lot more visible than other industries and other events because whether we want to or not, whether you've been keeping up with the K family and since the first season or you couldn't care less for them, we're all plugged into pop culture so much. 
and these are very visible, recognizable celebrities and individuals that we all consume their content constantly. And events like this just remind us that they're also technically trade workers. Uh, an article we found preparing for this episode on The Hollywood Reporter stated just that, that with the strike, writers actually realized how they are part of an employer-employee relationship. It's it's weird to think about it, but yeah, they they were just used to having studio partners and talking to the CEOs of these companies. And they were taking it back as to how these partners were so unwilling to share the fruits of their labor. And now with the strikes and unionizing, they're like, oh, we have rights and we can ask for a better relationship. We are employees, if that makes sense. So... Basically, another time, another argument for please run for the hills whenever an employer tells you we are like a family here because you may not be able to talk back to your family at Thanksgiving soon, but you should be able to get workers' rights. If you have a W-2, you're getting paid for your services. God, that the fact that that wasn't realized until 2023 is so crazy to me but it makes sense we think of them as artists as creatives like the compensation is not why we do what we do right except it is yes. and it's okay if it is now the strike is really a way to protest all of these challenges all the lack of recognitions like Susie just mentioned also the very modern and again dystopian use of AI and underwriters. So what triggered some of the writers was the fact that they would come up with a great idea. And once the idea is sold and the producers have been courted and the executives have greenlit it, then the story will be developed with AI generative software and underwriters that would be paid a lot less than an actual writer to cut production costs. And you can see how that could lead us down the slippery slope when one day writers wouldn't be needed anymore or we wouldn't think we need them anymore. Remember when, like, around, what, like, right before the housing crisis, like 2007, 2008, all of your favorite shows were... How can I put this politely? Well, they sucked. Their lack of better words. Um, the Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, what have you. You remember watching and thinking, this season is really off? It's because they didn't have writers actually write them. The production studios were not coming to the table to negotiate in good faith. And so the episodes were written by underwriters, by people crossing the picket lines, by people who had no business being writers. Same thing now, but imagine that being even worse because now we have readily available software that to a first impression or an ignorant eye looks like it could be the same or do at least an acceptable job. Oh, I remember those episodes of Grey's Anatomy. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I didn't even name that because I'm still offended at those. Like, 
they just slapped a sad song on top of scenes and hoped that we would be too emotionally traumatized to realize that that sucked. And I completely understand. But I also think about, for example, the non-writing staff, that when productions stop and everyone's out of a job, these people's lives were also pretty uncertain there for a while. For example, with the late night shows. I've been following Seth Meyers since SNL and the studio was able to give non-writing staff two weeks paid after the strike started and then Seth Meyers gave the staff another week out of his own pocket because lifeguards very uncertain and it's not their fault they do empathize but they're out of their main source of income and then on the other side you have Drew Barrymore crossing the picket line and she said that it was because she wanted to pay her employees again she also had contractual obligations we don't know the full story but if it's truly that simple of hey I just want to pay my people again I think it gets very tricky to cross the picket line because writers actors they're obviously such a big part of the media industry but you also have to think of all the other people that are not part of this union and that I don't know I think I'm rambling but I I think I understand both sides like when you're able do the most when you can't stick to your guns and uh, it is tricky it's it's definitely not as clear a line as maybe it used to seem in the past with Drew Barrymore same argument like her roles are very muddled on one side you would expect or hope for solidarity from other people in your industry especially as she used to be mostly an actor but also it would be naive to not see all the motivations that she gave and that there's definitely some truth there there's probably a lot more motivations that are not going to be shared with the public so transparently but it makes sense there's very strong arguments on either side the other thing that the other consideration that i think makes any strike in the entertainment industry also a little bit more controversial than others is that undertone of privilege in everything it's very much like oh jimmy fallon wants to advocate for the rights of actors so he's just gonna casually foot the bill for a week worth of paychecks for everyone that's more money than most of us will see in our lifetimes and i'm not just speaking on him for the sake of picking on him same thing with drew barrymore same thing with all the very rich actors that we saw walking down Rodeo Drive with their picket signs and their Birkins. It's hard to empathize sometimes. But we also have to remember that those are just the ones we recognize. As Susie was saying, there's all of the complementary industries. There's all the like kids that want to make it out of acting school. All the ones that are still working and living a more, a less exotic, less extravagant 
style. And also that is just one strike in one industry. Every day we have so many strikes in so many different industries that we just don't see because they either don't affect us as directly or they don't pop up all over our social media feeds because the very famous people with millions of followers are highlighting them. Like what's going on with the car industry and the presidential candidates that decided to jump on it. So the United Automobile Workers for GM, Ford and Stellantis began two weeks ago asking first for 46% pay raise over four years. They have now reduced that to 36 and I think down to 20 as we are recording. Might keep going down. We don't know. But they're also asking for a 32-hour work week. We've talked about reducing work weeks in other episodes, so go check that out. And a return of traditional pensions, an end to a two-tier wage system that pays new hires much less than workers with long tenures. And they're asking for retiree medical benefits, cost of living allowances tied to inflation, more paid time off, and limiting the use of temporary employees. Again, most of these things, like, I mean, pension, yes, please and thank you. Everyone should be entitled to it, especially someone who's doing a physically demanding job. Everyone's jobs are demanding before I offend some other office dwellers, but I get to do my exhausting work from an ergonomic chair, and I get to start at nine. I'm not doing night shifts. We're not lifting heavy weights. We're not operating machinery that could maim us. So all the more reason to acknowledge and honor that. Same thing with cost of living allowances to inflation. That would be hard to fight against for anyone. If you want to argue with me, go buy eggs and then we can talk about it. The one that is a little bit a slap in your face on the surface to me is the idea of the 46% increase. But as you mentioned, they already brought it down. A 20% increase would also be really good in my book. But I also don't know when the last time was that wages increased in that industry. So it might be overdue. It might be keeping up with inflation. I think it's just one of those percentages that makes for a very good soundbite and goes for the shock value. Yeah, I think from the research we did before the episode, I think they are being really underpaid. So that's why they started off with 46 and they were allowed to go down in negotiation tactics. Um, but how it might impact the rest of us is that if the strike is prolonged and as of right now, they are only stopping certain parts of each factory, they're not doing shutdowns. But new vehicles could become scarcer. Or, you know, car prices might go up. In 2019, GM had a 40-day strike. And just those 40 days contributed to a single quarter recession in Michigan. So this might... This is GM, Ford, and Stellantis. So there must 
there there will be a much more damage. So I definitely think I lost my window to buy a car. At this point, I'm going to wait this one out. But I also live in one of the best served public transportation areas of the country. That's not a choice for everyone. So that can correlate very directly with other lost jobs in other industries and lots and lots of ramification across everyone's lives. And finally, as we're recording this one day before the government might shut down, our DC correspondent, please explain. Okay, this is where I get to nerd out because it's combining politics and the world of work. So I'm all over it. Bear with me, people. At the same time, it's such a complex topic that read about it more we'll just cover the basics here but this is so interesting american friends love you mean it y'all are so weird and your system is so so weird so government shutdown as you're listening to this episode it might be the first day of it and as susie said we think it's gonna happen which really means like we're 99.99998 percent sure that it's gonna happen but who knows? There's still a weekend. Congress could pull an emergency night meeting out of their hats and make something happen. It wouldn't be the first time. It's just not that likely. But the point here is that like, compared to the strikes, yes, on the surface level, it's an interruption of services and work. The big difference being this is kind of the employers telling the employees no, you're not allowed to come into work now. Go deal with it. So whereas with strikes, workers get the chance to break the picket lines, here you're a little bit SOL. And the reason for this is that October 1st is also the beginning of a fiscal year calendar, much less commonly used in the private sector than our winter, summer, our usual January 1st, July 1st. But it's still well known because it's the one that the government uses. And the reason why shutdowns seem to always happen in the fall. First thing first, like, again, Americans. So weird. How can an entire government shut down? This process does not happen in Italy. I never encountered it before coming here. But what about Mexico, Susie? Like, do y'all just decide, nah, not doing this today? No, definitely not how it works in Mexico either. But in the U.S., every fall, it seems like we are going to have a government shutdown uh, in recent years because, because of, you guessed it, not a Black Mirror episode yet, but an old law passed almost two centuries ago that we, for some reason, still follow. It's called the Anti-Deficiency Act, and the irony of the name is not lost on me. But it's basically saying that federal agencies cannot spend or use any money without an appropriation process or an approval from Congress. It sounds very extreme. It's actually only touching about 25% of the federal budget. So several government agencies don't have to worry about a shutdown, such as the military, for example. And they continue to operate throughout the year no matter what. But for 
12 appropriations that the government has to go through and actually approve. That is the case. About 25% of the budget, as I said, it's also possible to have a partial shutdown, which means that some of those 12 appropriations will go through and others won't. So you could have a situation where law enforcement keeps working and, you know, the FAA, the Federal Aviation uh, Group, still keeps working, but others haven't been approved. And so we would have a partial shutdown. The impact is... I don't know, living in the sea, it both sounds like we're going towards the apocalypse and like everyone is just getting a prolonged snow day. It's honestly very confusing. But there's about 160,000 federal workers that will be placed on hold just around the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. We're definitely going to get some fancy bars and places that are going to do drinks named after it Um, but also people are gonna struggle again very weird duality of things essential workers can be retained without pay so again imagine going to your employer and they just tell you sorry your paycheck you'll get it whenever we get to the end of this whenever the board of directors finally approves the next budget You might get back pay. So as I mentioned before, roles like air traffic controllers, law enforcement, roles that cannot be actually put on hold. For a lot of us, though, our roles would not be considered essentials. So if your role is furloughed, you will be put on this unpaid pause and not everyone always gets back pay. Now, D.C., not being a state, we have a congresswoman and she's fighting tooth and nail for getting back pay for those workers, too, so that the local economy is affected a little bit less. One of the issues is that she might not get to make her case and get a vote on it before the Congress shuts down. So that's an effective summary of D.C. representation and lack of statehood. But I digress. The other point that I we made for the other strikes as well and for all of these pauses is all the impact this is going to have around the industry that is affected. So in our case, it hits federal contractors. It hits tourism because while the museums and the Smithsonian's, for example, will stay open, some of their services will no longer be available. If you look at pictures from past um, government shutdowns, you will see that trash pickup still happens, but with much less stuff. So it's a silly consequence, but that's why our trash cans will be full for the next couple of weeks. And it can, of course, delve in much more severe consequences, uh, such as the fact that no one will be allowed to get married in D.C. because the courts will be working But unfortunately, wedding licenses are not considered necessary for the continuation of the state. Lots and lots of ramifications. Again, such a weird process. Not everyone will be affected. So maybe in a future episode, I'll let you know more impressions as we get through a couple of weeks. I'm curious to see if we'll have 
more people just out and about enjoying life or if federal workers are just going to hide at home and save their money. We'll see. But if it feels like you're the only one going to work this fall, it might be because you are with all of these things going on. As a conclusion to this episode, as we started from the very beginning, a reminder to take your vaccination and your flu shots and everything else that your doctors recommend so that you don't end up going on a involuntary kind of break, kind of working from home situation like mine. If you're involved in any of the strikes and want to share your experience, please let us know. We would love to hear you on our mics and talking from a more informed first-hand perspective than either of us can. And if you're on furlough, Godspeed, friend. You have the time. Get on our podcast as well. And with all of that, happy fall, everyone. Enjoy PSL season. And we will catch you in the next one. You know, go apple picking. Go to a picket line. If you're not the one on strike, maybe file for unemployment. All the usual. Slide into our DMs on Instagram, Facebook and Threads at Bias Check-In Podcast. Or leave us a voice note on Spotify for Podcasters, previously known as Anchor.fm. And we will love to hear from you. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.